writing about love in these times of tension and strife, which may at any moment become for us all a time of terror, I think to myself, what else is the world interested in? What else do we all want, each one of us, except to love and be loved? God is love. Love casts out fear. Even the most ardent revolutionist seeking to change the world is trying to make a world where it is easier for people to love to stand in that relationship to each other. There can never be enough of it. That's uh, Dorothy Day writing many years ago. Wow, man. I feel like that is just so right now. I know. Yeah. I wish I had the date, but I think the book is on pilgrimage, so. Oh, right. That's that's really fantastic. Um, it's a little uh, pre-sermon before we can get things jumped off here. That's good. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to say I'm glad that all of you who have found your way to listening, uh, be it uh, those of you who are gathered around your uh, hearth with your families, uh, listening to this all together, or those of you uh, off in strange lands, uh, just uh, streaming this over your phone. Whoever you are, we're glad that you're here and wherever you're, whoever you're with. But yeah, this is House of Mercy uh, Sunday service uh, podcast, and it's great to have you. Um, speaking of which, it was uh, so great to see so many people out, uh, really great crowd, I don't know, people, everything. It was just good to be out with people on Sunday, Easter Sunday. And uh, Debbie, we're, um, we've got some other outdoor in-person services in the works, is that right? We do. Um, we are definitely thinking about it, definitely planning on it, and stay tuned for what is next. But we will be planning another outdoor service soon. Yeah, and uh, well, just uh, you know, just a little nod. This last week has been kind of a rough one. Waking up uh, last Monday, seeing the paper uh, about the uh, murder of Dante Wright and uh, everything that's going. Been, I mean, even during this trial, and then to. Yeah, have all this going on. I don't know if you've been keeping that close. Uh, do you guys out there ever watch Unicorn Riot? Yeah, I yeah. do. It's, uh, uh, I think they do really good work, and it's, it's good to get a perspective of what's going on right there you know, on the street. But it can be uh, extended viewing of it can be very depressing. It is depressing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's sad and depressing and angering, but uh, we, uh, we, 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 we're thankful for those who are out there speaking up and standing out and that they will be safe and uh, everybody involved can find some kind of peace. Indeed. Well, <laughs> this is the House of Mercy and welcome to it. Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. 
God of mercy in the midst of this undulating, seemingly ongoing chaos born of the pandemic of racial injustice, deep sorrow, and casting for hope, help us, at least for this moment, help us to let go of the urgency of our response so we may sit and find the counter-narrative in our breathing, de-escalating with every breath until we have found a center where clarity and mercy are more fully possible. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ be with you all and also with you. Please share a sign of peace with those around you. Let's all go down to the river. There's a man walking on the water. Come along with me where I want to see. please join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all those who have been called into the streets to stand up, to bear witness, to speak in the only language left to them, whether it be riot, peaceful protest, or silent vigil. We pray that they would be heard, heard by those in power, who call the shots and protect the systems which perpetuate these conditions that seem sometimes built for these outcomes, the killing of black men by police, the erosion of communities of color by capital and its desires. Creator God, make your presence known. Care for those in need and convict those in power. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, one week ago this Sunday morning, Dante Wright lived and loved. 
We grieve with his family. We grieve for his family, his son, and his folks. God of mercy, surround them with all of your peace, that they would know comfort even as they look for justice, where no sense can be found. We pray for all those who participate in the Chauvin trial, for the jurors, the judge, the legal teams. Give them wisdom in their understanding of justice. For the defendant, that he would feel your presence and an awareness of his own humanity. For the family and friends of George Floyd, for whom this trial surely brings back the deep sorrow and profound anger as his murder is rehearsed. Surround them with your peace and love. Hold them in this time of trial. And with the verdict, finally, we pray for justice to be done, a true justice that is transformational, that law enforcement's interactions with men and women of color could never be the same. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in need of physical, spiritual, and emotional healing. We give you thanks for the life of Christopher Messier, for all that he gave to others. We pray for his family, that you would be with them in their grief. We pray for all who are dying, mourning the death of a loved one, or beginning to understand what it means to live without them. We pray for those who are in prison and those who are prisoners of addiction, for those living with real loneliness, for those of us living with mental illness, especially in this time of isolation. Gather all of these in your arms and hold them in your healing love. Sustain them with your unending peace. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those traveling north to the border and all of your children who must leave their homes in an attempt to meet their most basic needs, food, shelter, possibility. Keep them strong, give them hope, move those they encounter to welcome them, treat them with dignity. If they are hungry, to feed them. If they are thirsty, to give them drink. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we have not loved you with all that we are. We have hurt people who are in our lives and who have passed through our lives. We ask for your forgiveness and are confident that you judge us with your grace. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended moment of silence. Amen. The scripture tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, 
verses 36 through 48. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Word of God. On this third Sunday of the Easter season, I'm not feeling like the forces of death have been defeated, aren't pausing long enough to allow for a sort of mood of joyous celebration of the Easter resurrection, the empire of death has been defeated season. I mean... Looking around, it just doesn't seem true. Like, is there some level of consciousness, awareness I have to get to in order to see or feel or glimpse? Okay, maybe I glimpse it occasionally. The revelation of Easter? Maybe that is faith, and I'm not quite overflowing with it. I mean, it's always true every year that Easter comes in the midst of people's suffering. Tragedies don't stop so the church can celebrate Easter. People die. This week, though? Jeez. For weeks, I've been seeing headlines like, the world's eyes are on Minnesota, waiting to see if this collection of citizens were part of, if this state will convict a white police officer for murdering an unarmed black man, George Floyd. And I was already feeling that Minnesota was, we were probably going to let the world down in this regard. And then, with all the world's eyes on Minnesota, Dante Wright is shot by a white police officer because of an air freshener hanging from his mirror, or his tabs were expired, shot and killed. Also, the body cam video of the murder of 13-year-old Adam Toledo in Chicago, also the mass shooting in Indianapolis, also people we know and loved have died this week or are suffering, also many people we don't know. Death undone? New hope for astounding new possibility? It just doesn't seem to be in the air this week. I love to see the flowers coming up and the grass turning green. 
But the non-violent subversion of the empire of death must be pretty subtle. Jesus suffers, is murdered, he's buried three days in the tomb, but then he comes back alive again. Obviously, people weren't expecting that. When he comes in his resurrected body to see his disciples and the story we read, they're startled and afraid, understandably. But Jesus doesn't seem to understand. Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts, he asks. Well, I don't understand where he's coming from. What would he expect? He was dead in the grave long enough for maggots to begin to eat his body. They thought he was a ghost. He, we might think zombie. I mean, it, it seems scary. Whose hearts wouldn't doubts arise in? But I do love his response to their fear. He's like, see my hands and feet? Sort of like a newborn who's just discovering these appendages? Or maybe more, see my wounds? It's me. He says, come here and touch me, handle me, feel my flesh and bones. And do you have any food? I could eat. I mean, how beautiful for them. A person they love dies. They are overwhelmed with grief. More even, they thought he was the one who would liberate them from the oppressors. But then he shows up at their door, all alive again. Dante writes, Mom said this week, the people keep asking her what, what she wants to see happen, what justice would be. She said, there's never going to be justice. It would be to see my son come home, knocking on the door with his big smile, coming in the house, sitting down, eating dinner with us. I mean, how wonderful for the friends and family of Jesus. He walks in alive, seeming sort of happy, peaceful, and unafraid, sort of casual-like even. I could eat. Like the news from the grave is that it wasn't that bad. It didn't defeat him. Come here and touch me, he says. I'm alive. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Be at peace. This was all supposed to happen. And they give him a piece of broiled fish. I mean, that seems a little tentative, like, why not a big plate of sandwiches and salads and dessert? And then he opens their minds. I kind of wish the sentence had stopped there for some reason, to understand the scripture. Which, okay, maybe that is really like saying he opened their minds to a beautiful, not scary, all in encompassing, entirely merciful love that came into the world when God first breathed life into it, opened their minds to something unbelievably gorgeous and true from the foundation of the world, something God had always been trying to get across, but they hadn't understood before. He says, you are witnesses to this. I'm showing you. Go out and let everyone know. I mean, that all seems very beautiful and wonderful and exciting. But it seems like a lot to ask us 
2,000 years later, or Dante writes mom whose son is not sitting down to eat dinner with her, to feel what they felt or, or see what they saw, to have our minds opened in quite the same way, to be convinced by their witness. I mean, it's hard for me. I guess I'm not going to presume to speak for you. It's hard for me to suspend my disbelief. I'm quite familiar with the fact that people make up stories for many purposes, some great purposes with wonderful outcomes, still. And okay, if it's all real that Jesus rose from the dead and death was made non-toxic, what tangible difference does it make as we live and breathe on April 18th, 2021? or the 19th, or the 20th, etc., or as Dante Wright's mom lives tomorrow and the next day. Is it that death doesn't matter so much or in the way we think it does? Because everything really stretches out so far way beyond what we can see or imagine. And when I say everything, I mean goodness, love, mercy. We really don't know where Jesus is coming from. When he's like, why are you afraid? Because we haven't seen where he's been, haven't seen like he sees. That death is not a thing to be so feared or fought. He's totally free. And we're only barely able to open our eyes to this freedom. It is necessary, Jesus' words, that he died in a way that has similarities to George Floyd's death, Adam Toledo's, Breonna Taylor's, violently, prematurely, at the hands of the unjust powers that be. Not like a king in some grand bed with his head on a soft pillow surrounded by servants making him as comfortable as possible, old and with all the morphine he needs. But no one else gets out of the grave, finds their loved ones, and says, look, I'm alive, let's eat. They don't come back to their family and friends and say, peace be with you. I mean, if they did, that would be something solid. I can imagine that would make death seem pretty non-toxic and ineffectual and nothing to be at all afraid of or consumed by. Like, who would worry about it if we saw something like that happen? Maybe the companions of Jesus really were able to see that death wasn't victorious, was swallowed up in everlasting life, was just one smallish thing in a much larger, longer, infinite, lively, thoroughly loving, every terror will be wiped away truth. But I do have a hard time opening up to that. Even hoping for it seems vaguely, possibly irresponsible, problematic, it, if it distracts me from working to alleviate the suffering of our fellow humans, the planet. Not that it would, it, it could probably help us have a lot more energy available for love. If we were not caught up in the social order, the rivalrous mechanism that leads to violence, the self-deception and ferocious need to make ourselves out as innocent, the fear we aren't good enough or loved enough, so stuck focusing on ourselves 
in the rhythm of the expected judgments. We're three Sundays into the Easter season. I'm obviously going to have to try, am trying, to make the case for celebrating it or having faith in its relevance because I'm tasked with that job as a pastor. But just so you know, I'm at best a bit wobbly about it myself. At worst, highly doubtful, or actually at very worst, there's something in me that just wants to say, forget it. Maybe the Black Panthers, the Zapatistas, Che Guevara, Sandino, Subcomandante Marcos were right. I mean, how long do you watch your people be beat up and killed and treated inhumanely, observe the insanity of all the security and stability and opportunity being concentrated in the hands of the power-hungry, the very small, wealthiest, and most powerful minority? Before you start saying, enough is enough, by any means necessary, Time to take up arms, maybe carefully and judicially, but take them up. Except that rarely seems to work out well, either. I mean, maybe a little? I'm not an expert on nonviolent versus violent resistance. I think there are differing opinions. According to one fairly recent study, nonviolent uprisings have a 53% success rate. Not terrible. And only about a 20% rate of complete failure. Okay. Violent campaigns were only successful 23% of the time and complete failures about 60% of the time. But I mean, the powers that be definitely believe in violence. As long as they're the ones doing it. Like it's hardly questioned adequately. The U.S. government spends something like 64% of its budget on the military compared to like 3% on the environment. And like 6% on programs to benefit people with income insecurity. Our country, our state of Minnesota, heavily arms the people it once armed to promote and protect democracy. Believes in violence so much, it seems, as long as it's not black, brown, or indigenous people of color who have been victims of violence the entire history of this country that are doing it. I wasn't there, but I saw the pictures of the insanely well-armed police next to thoroughly unarmed protesters in Brooklyn Center this week. It's Easter. What does it mean to trust in, to give our allegiance, to have faith in the nonviolent subversion of the empire of death, something we can barely see most of the time, Though we do see it in moments, I think. I mean, I'm certainly not tempted to give my allegiance or, or put my faith in the systems of power I can see. Though maybe that's not true. Maybe I do. I probably do. I certainly benefit from neoliberal capitalist white supremacy. But I don't trust it to save the world, love the broken, heal what needs healing. I think there's something to be said for continuing to proclaim something in spite of what you personally are able to have faith in at any given moment or understand. So, Christ is risen. The empire of death has been defeated. Christ is risen. The mercy cannot be contained. Christ is risen. 
May we be opened up more and more by the mercy of God who is without wrath or vengeance, who has always loved us more than we can imagine. Open to being witnesses in word and deed to the life-giving force, mercy, love that brings this world into being and continues to be present, bringing what's dead to life eternally. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he suffered, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. When troubles surround us, when evils come, the body grows weak, the spirit grows numb. When these things beset us, He doesn't forget us. He sends down His love on the wings of a dove. On the wings of a snow-white dove, He sends His On the wings 
go knowing that Christ is risen. Death has been defeated. Amen.